Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we are here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, and didn't learn correctly with this second attempt at this episode. And sometimes we talk about how Austin probably fucked up and we lost a recording. We have no idea what happened to the last recording. Yeah, it seemed like everything was right, but then it just wasn't there, so we don't know what happened. Yeah, and we were just both too exhausted from life to re-record last week. So here we are redoing the same episode we did last week, and today it is the 4th of July that as we record. So because laws have no meaning where we live, chances are at some point fireworks will be shot off, and if they hit our house, hopefully we're able to get out of here in time and get all the cats out, because that's what matters. The rest of it is covered by homeowner's insurance. Yes, it is. And remember, you can't spell homeowner without meow. So, let's see, it's been a couple of weeks. We finished Supernatural. I cried like a baby. I tried not to laugh because they did a one version of Carry On My Wayward Son, followed by a second version of Carry On My Wayward Son immediately after. Uh, one thing that cracks me up about that show that's always cracked me up is that on the uh, on the car, when they have Kansas tags, they have Kansas tags on the front and the back. Kansas does not require tags on the front and the back. You have to go like extra steps to do it. And it's actually more suspicious if you've got tags on the front and the back. So it always cracked me up that that's like a one of those little things that they messed up on the show, like that and some pronunciations of Kansas towns and things like that. Oh, I'm sure they mispronounced a bunch of stuff like in the Northeast oh, and yeah. Northwest too. Oh, no, we absolutely. Just only know the Kansas they did. Absolutely did. It was also another podcast I listened to is, uh, did a true, true crime case out of Kansas and they pronounced it Olathe. And I'm like, you know what? That's better than a lot of people do. <laughs> Olathe. 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 I've heard. Olathe. Yeah, it's pronounced Olathe if you're curious. Old Teehee. I also, it made me very nervous because it was like this really disgusting, horrific true crime case. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to work in Olathe. But they did look up some of them. Like, they're like, oh, shoot, I I realized I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, they had like Lacine and probably if they were there, like Potawatomi. They did have El Dorado at one point, which they did not pronounce El Dorado. Yeah. But can't, like, guys, like, we, people get really mad about this stuff. We are aware of how stupid our our cities and around here are pronounced. Yeah, like like McPherson. Yeah, McPherson, Nevada. That's Missouri. Like we just don't we we like to confuse people. It's just what we do. Um, and then Austin had me watch Jennifer's Body, which I had never seen before. I always thought I'd seen this movie. So I'm like, ugh. Okay, I love horror movies. I'm like, this is just one of those that you know. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna want to watch it. I'd never seen it before, and it is brilliant. Yeah, I like. This is exactly the type of horror movie I thought you would like. It's got tongue in cheek. Boys die. It's got like you know demons, murder. It has Lane's superior boyfriend from Gilmore Girls. It has J.K. Simmons with hair, which might be the most terrifying part of the whole thing. It's like the hair was somehow more upsetting than the hook hand. Yeah, which which never got mentioned. Nope. Just, you have J.K. Simmons with hair and a hook hand, and I'm like, okay, and it makes sense that clearly they're a good chunk into the school year, they would not mention the hook hand, but I'm like, Whose choice was the hook hand? Is there a backstory know. that like they decided to cut out? Was this something J.K. Simmons wanted to do in exchange for being in this movie? In exchange for the hair they gave him? Like, fine. If I've got that, if got, I've got the hair, I need a hook hand to distract from this bad wig. Mm-hmm. Actually, they didn't do too bad on it. It just looked weird because it, it was on him. It was a very like Midwestern principal hair. Yeah, Austin said that that's a real place. 
uh, the Devil's Kettle. I'm not sure if the town is real, but it's a real thing. There's like this waterfall that like pops off a river and it goes down into a hole and they're not sure where it comes out again. I do know at least part of it is based on a true story, too, which I'd have to look up which true crime case it is. But it's it, but at least part of it is based on a true crime case. Um, and, you know, in our exciting suburban life is we got a new dryer that should be coming in the mail tomorrow. Not the mail. Uh, be delivered tomorrow. Our poor postal worker. He's going to have to carry that. <laughs> at least it's not like back when they had to take kids places because you used to be able to send kids to the mail. Like literally they would stick st- stamps to their kids and send them through the mail. I thought about doing an episode on it, but it actually turned out to be very short and not that interesting, despite the fact that it was children going through the mail. Wow. I've I've had a few things where I've started to research and it turned out to just not be interesting. Like the stuff that we used to send through the mail is kind of weird. And then the way we used to get kids to places was kind of weird and sometimes horrifying. Like there were like, you know, basically kid auctions at one point. But yeah, they literally had and they were and they had stamps on them and the postal workers, you know, they didn't carry them in the bag. Like I think there's a photo of a baby being carried in a bag, but it was just a joke. Then then they moved it to where it needed to be. But they would like walk with the kid or push them in the stroller, whatever they needed to do. Uh, One of them, I think, was on a train for a while with the mail and she just had stamps like (laughs) so that that is the history I was saying. Like, you know, I was going to, I was talking about something else and I don't remember. I literally just woke up, guys. I am not feeling great and I've just been wanting to sleep. Yeah. But it's okay. So on that segue, speaking of not feeling great and wanting to sleep, I get to go first. Oh yeah. You went first. And I'm going to talk about pigeons. I love pigeons. It's like, they're everywhere. Uh, You know, people call them rats with wings because they're so ubiquitous. But we don't really learn a lot about them. That's because the pigeons have their secrets. Yep. And it's like, and because they're just so ubiquitous, they're everywhere. We don't really think about them that much. It's like, oh yeah, it's pigeons, whatever. But like when I started reaching, before I started reaching this, I saw a thing online about how all of these pigeons are just the feral descendants of escaped domesticated birds. Oh, uh, the feral, the def- descendants of domestic, of feral domesticated pigeons. Yeah, the not just random birds. Yeah, all of these all of these pigeons, they are the ancestors they they are the descendants of these escaped domesticated birds. Like there's like domesticated pigeons escaped and now they're wild and feral. Okay, cuz when you say escaped domesticated birds, I'm thinking parrots. Well, you know, de- cuz apparently like pigeons are domesticated. And even though she's talking about how much she loves pigeons, Maddie hates birds. I have been getting better. I used to be afraid of birds because when I was in high school, both of my stories are from high school. The first one was there was a uh, crow, and I, I really do like crows, too. And it was at my bus stop, and it was just left there by the people whose house, who, like, they would, like, mow around this crow rather than get animal control or just throwing it away themselves. We watched it decompose for months, and I rode the bus with the guy who took joy in running over bunnies with his lawnmower, so I didn't even, like, get to enjoy the scientific process that came with that. And then another time at a party in high school, well, I went to a party at this person's house a few times. He's Okay, high schoolers who clearly listen to this, there will always be the guy who throws the parties at his houses, and he is too old to hang out with the high schoolers. This guy was like 22 or 23 years old. He supplied the alcohol. And yes, he did try to sleep with the high school girls, which is creepy and illegal. And when you're in high school, you might think it's a little creepy, but that's it. In hindsight, I'm like, wow, that guy was rapey. Oh, God. Um, But he had a bird. That was the point. He had a bird that was so grossly neglected that when I went over to, like, talk to the poor birds, it had ripped out all of its own feathers just to, to, like, 
keep its boredom and anxiety at bay, it jumped on me and it was so excited that someone was paying attention. It was like doing the nuzzle thing, scared the shit out of me. And like, I didn't like throw it off or anything because I felt so bad for it, but it just scared me. So this like week, this week is a big win for me because I get to talk about weird facts about an animal, which I love to do. Uh, I get to annoy Maddie with my bird facts and I get to quote Plenty the Elder not once, uh, but twice about pigeons. Hold on. I have to open a water bottle. I injured my hand earlier and uh, I'm already a wuss at opening these water bottles and that's really not working. Because let me tell you, Pliny the Elder hit the nail on the head with pigeons. Like, normally we can make fun of the stuff he says, like, a little bit, but no, not this time. Pliny is full of wisdom, and I don't make fun of Pliny. But, yeah, because, like, he just knocked out of the park. And, and, of course, Pliny wrote about it because our history with pigeons goes way, way back. They're one of the first animal species that we domesticated. Mm-hmm. We domesticated them about 10,000 years ago, which is about the same time we domesticated cattle. It was 4,000 years before we domesticated horses and 6,000 years before we domesticated chickens. Did we eat pigeons? Yes, we did. I know people still eat pigeon. Yeah, they are raised as food, but like that's not what they're best at because they do really useful things for us because they're easy to train and pigeons are not dumb. No, pigeons are really, really smart. So are crows. I mean, their homing instincts are so strong, we don't even have to train them to do a lot of the stuff we use them for. They just do it naturally. So there's not a lot we have to do with them. They just do it. And, like, they are just so good at reliably finding their way home. Unlike me. Yeah. And we are not completely certain why pigeons are so good at finding their way home. Or why I'm so bad at it. Yeah. For a while, uh, we thought it was because pigeons have an acute magnetic sense, so they can just, they have little sense organs that can tell them roughly where north is. But we've tested it with magnets by putting magnets on pigeons' heads and it disorients them and they get lost. So we know that they are partially using this magnetic sense, but this alone would not help them find their way home as accurately as they do. They just know where north is. Without a map or any other senses, it's kind of worthless. Like, yeah, north is that way, but which way is home? Prove to me that pigeons can't read maps. I mean, I've never seen a pigeon carrying a map. Prove to me that they aren't just using other people's maps. Do you just leave out maps for pigeons? I mean, think about how pi- smart pigeons are and then think how much tourists walk around cities with their map apps open, hoping nobody will notice. You know who notices? The pigeons. Yeah. Well, that might not be true, but we also think they do something even cooler. They navigate by smell. Kind of like you do now that I broke your face. Oh, yeah. So so this week, uh, last week, uh, Maddie flails around in her sleep a lot. Nightmares. It's so fun. And uh, she hit me in the face. And I heard my nose make kind of a snapping pop noise. (laughs) And like, since then, I've stopped snoring. And his sense of smell has improved. But now when he moves his nose, there's a popping noise every time. So I think I might have broken the cartilage, like connections in his nose. She might have broken my nose. Your nose isn't broken because it doesn't hurt. She broke my nose but yeah he stopped snoring because i hit him in the face and his sense of smell has improved i'm making him go to the doctor yeah so um i meanwhile while she's making me go to the doctor because she thinks modern medicine is why why do you have quotation marks around doctor Doctor, i love this doctor whatever my nose western medicine is meaningless we are gonna get a tent and we're gonna travel around the country and you're gonna slap the snoring out of people (laughs) 
Yeah, I am now a uh, a faith hitter. A faith. It's like it's like a faith healer, but it slaps. Yeah, and apparently it will fix whatever part of your body I hit you with as hard as I can. So, um, for two hundred bucks, uh, like you know, hit us up on Twitter. We'll give you the information. Oh, on the hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter, and we'll come to where you are and slap you. No, we won't come to where they are because I'm not paying more than I'm gonna get. That's true. You have to come to us and give us two hundred dollars, and we'll slap you. And it'll cure your snoring. And maybe other things. We don't know. And if it doesn't work, it's because you didn't believe enough there are no refunds. Exactly. Where was I? Yeah, pigeons navigate by smell. Because they've actually tested this. Like, they have messed with the bird's sense of smell. They put false scents in different directions. And the birds get lost if there's smells. Vic Vic vapor rub on their beaks and they're done. Yeah. So we've tricked them. They've gotten lost. And so we know that they partially navigate by smell. And also, they're good at, like, recognizing landmarks and features. And they kind of use those. And they've got, like, a pathfinding system that works. They don't find the most efficient path most of, t- most of the time. But they do, like, fly, find landmarks, and use those to figure out roughly where they are with their sense of what is what north is and their sense of smell. They reliably find their way home pretty quickly. We're not exactly sure how it works, but it works. Just heard the fireworks. So guys, again, if you hear boom, boom, boom in the background, it's the fireworks from the morons. We are not a safe place to shoot off fireworks. Yeah. We are a very like close together neighborhood. Anything you shoot off is could very easily hit a house or a car or a yeah. train. And it's luckily it's been raining. There have been years where it's been dry. Like you can always tell after the 4th of July, you'll drive around and you'll see burnt patches everywhere. Yeah. And I follow this doctor on TikTok who tells secrets about the ER. And one of them was that uh, July is the baby doctors. All the doctors who just graduated from medical school have started their uh, residencies at hospitals or internships. I'm not sure which. But either way, your ER doctor that's coming in to try to save your hand after you blow it off with a firework probably just finished school like a month ago. So have fun. So, yeah, pigeons, they've got a great sense of direction, which is one of the things we use them for as messenger pigeons. And that's like the one thing I remember learning about them in school is we learn about how messenger pigeons were used during war. And they've been used this way for thousands of years. Not just during war. Not just during war. Pliny the Elder actually wrote about armies using large nets and archers to try and intercept enemy carrier pigeons to get their messages to keep either keep people from asking for help or to figure out what the other army was trying to do. Oh, and here's a fun fact about birds in general. So you guys probably know that a lot of birds get tagged and tracked so that we can study their like migration cycles and all that. To get the birds tagged, they put up very large nets that the birds fly into, at least for birds that don't fly like hundreds of, you know, really, really high in the air. And then they go out and the birds are trapped in the nets. They very gently take the birds out. I remember right. We put them in bags. We carry them back to the labeling location. I've I, oh, uh, Just to be clear, I've done this. Um, Austin's like, you're afraid of birds. Yes, I am. I did this. You take them back to the tag and they put a little tag on their leg. Uh, and then you take them back outside in your hand and then they fly away from your hand. And it's so fun and exciting. And the birds are, and the, the birds are in no way hurt during this process. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, this tagging process and how we track birds is also how we know that setting off fireworks on the 4th of July really, dis- really like disrupts their nesting and is bad for them. So fourth fireworks. Start fires, bad for birds. Bad for cats. Bad for dogs. 
Bad for people with PTSD related to those noises. Yeah. Bad for people who have lit themselves on fire as sparklers twice. Not that I know anybody who has done that and definitely not me. Yeah. One very famous bird, Cher Ami, uh, was a messenger pigeon during World War One, And uh, her heroics won her the French Croix de Guerre, which means uh, war cross, a medal for especially valorous service. Because Cher Ami was shot and nearly died. She actually ended up losing a leg and an eye, but the medics uh, did carve a little peg leg for her. But she was delivered a critical message from a battalion that was under friendly fire. There's artillery barraging them. And this message... Under friendly fire? Yeah, it was... A bunch of dummies being dummies? Yeah, it was... uh, They thought this was an enemy battalion. It wasn't. So they were pinned down and they managed to send this pigeon back, even though, like, they were also surrounded, too. It was a bad situation for this battalion. And did the pigeon's message literally just say, what the fuck? It was... It was that, but more polite, because this was, like, you know, 1917. Um, What the fuck, sir? Uh, Politely, what the fuck? And she got injured during that? Got injured during that. And she died not long afterwards, right? She died... Uh, she died about six months later. So not necessarily of the injuries, not just ne- of being a pigeon. Just of being a pigeon. But yeah, delivered this friendly message. Uh, by the way, if you want to see Shara Me, she is currently on display in the Smithsonian. So is the postal dog. And so is an army dog, Sergeant Stubby. Don't remember what the postal dog's name is. I remember it. If I, if I remember it, it's a bulldog. Yeah. Uh, England also awarded twenty-one other messenger pigeons and. Sp- uh, a special Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery. I love it when they give awards to the animals because, like, they didn't, they, they weren't even drafted. They don't know what's going on. Well, the medal is called the Dickon Medal, named for Maria Dickon, who did work with animals. The Dickon Medal. See, Austin tries to get me to laugh for these things because he thinks I'm a 12 year old like him. I laughed so hard when I saw the Dickon Medal. Uh, and when we did the IQ episode and I kept talking about the wood, the Woodcock Johnson <laughs> and how, especially because the guy's name was, I believe, Richard Woodcock Dick Woodcock, and her actual name was like Ann Bonner Johnson or Bonner something. Johnson. Yeah. So, anyway. so for me, I'm saying like Dickon. Oh, like Charles Dickens. And I also think there's a bird that's called something like that. And then Austin's like Dickon. Don't you get it? Dickon. Like, like Charles, what are we talking about? You have, you're too mature and refined. I'm too refined. So anyway, I mentioned, you know, how pigeons were easy to train and we're talking about their amazing senses and how they can recognize like colors and patterns and do that stuff. We've also put that to use in other ways other than just having them deliver messages for us. They also design clothing. Yeah. Like Shigeru Watanabe uh, trained pigeons to criticize children's art. Doing the Lord's work. Now, there's no way this wasn't just to either insult art critics or children. You know, though, I can't think of a time in my life, like when a student gave me a piece of art they had made where I didn't like swell with joy on the inside. Like there's just something really cool, especially when they're in middle school, like because, you know, little kids are like, here's a drawing of a butterfly for the 10,000th time. Meanwhile, like when middle schoolers give you something, they like some art they made, it's either really funny or it's really good. Or I've got one downstairs that I'm actually in the process of framing to put in my office that she spent months on. And it's really cool. It's uh, a combination of the musical Cats and Hamilton. It's a cat uh, from the musical dressed as as Hamilton. It's amazing. Now, he said it was to help understand how animals process and categorize visual stimuli. And he used children's art because it's not as complex and nuanced as, like, say, for instance, Picasso or Renoir. Now, were these actual children's works of art or were these 
like works of art made by adult that looked like children's actual art. works of art made by children. Was it like in art class and the teachers were like good art, bad art, good art, bad art? Yeah. Uh, so he actually did this by getting a very large sample of children's art and getting people to categorize it, categorize it as either good or bad. Then he set it up so pigeons would get food for pressing a good button when good art was identified. So it'd flash up on a monitor, and if a pigeon hit the good button when it was good art, they'd get a treat. If they hit if they hit the like if it was bad art and hit the good button, they wouldn't get a treat. So they were learning how to identify art by getting treats. That's how I learned to identify art. And it's it also why I hate uh, art museums because you're not allowed to eat in them. So how am I supposed to know anything is art? It's true. I only give you treats when you recognize good art. Yeah. And when we walk through art museums, you're not allowed to give me a treat at all because you can't have food in there because, oh, you got peanut butter on that Renoir. I still can't. I don't know how you got peanut butter on the Renoir. Because I was trying to even give myself a treat so I could appreciate the art. Actually, is Renoir the one I like? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he went on to prove that this wasn't just memorization. Like, they'd be showing the same pieces over and over again, and they should recognize what the good ones were supposed to be. Uh, they would actually successfully identify good art in new cases, so they'd get a new piece of art, and they'd identify it correctly. And they also would, like, flip it around, resize it, do all this stuff to change it to see if they'd recognize it. They even would do, like, mild pixelization, so they'd, like, kind of blur it a little bit, and it get to the point where they'd stop recognizing it as good or bad. So, uh, interestingly, when they switched it to black and white, it really threw them off, because they couldn't interpret stuff then. Kind of like when uh, we try to get people to watch black and white TV shows now. Yeah. But, you know, this proved that when they were looking at it, they were looking for color, pattern, like lines, all of this stuff. They were identifying art kind of in the same way we do. And he could train them to criticize it. And it was either to show critics, ha, look how easy your job is. Even a bird can do this. Or look, Brayden, your art is so bad, even pigeons don't like it. You suck, Brayden. Yeah, and see, the thing here is the pigeons were not mentally thinking, I appreciate this art, or I do not appreciate this art. They're saying, I recognize these patterns. Mm -hmm. this, this, this is what constitutes good art, and this is what constitutes bad art, and they were able to learn that. But they, they are not able to, they were not taught the concepts of good and bad art. Still. That would be impressive if we could get a pigeon to like write us an essay on what makes art art. Yeah. I mean, if I had to take my English AP test and read poems about birds, I don't see why they shouldn't have to do the same about us. Read poems about people? It was actually really insulting. It was two poems about birds. And it was like, which one of these do you believe was written by a woman? Explain why. Oh, that sounds awful. It was so insulting. Well, don't worry. For those of you who hate art... Uh, there's also another use the where they try to train pigeons for. The Coast Guard tried to train pigeons to help with search and rescue. It was called Project Sea Hunt. It's really smart. Yeah, it was a joint effort with the U.S. Navy and the Coast Guard. They trained pigeons to spot red, orange, and yellow objects and see at sea and hit a button if they saw them. So they had these pigeons in like a box mounted underneath a, a helicopter. And if they saw something that was the same color as a life preserver or any other emergency flotation device, they'd hit this button. And it would signal the helicopter's crew to look more closely at this area because they saw something that matched, like, you know, a person in distress. Yeah. And again, this was really clever because pigeons live about 10 years. They're easy to train. They've got a wild, wide field of vision. And they're more vigilant than people. Like, we really suck compared to pigeons at this because they... Yeah, I'd imagine it's kind of like highway hypnosis. Like, yeah. we go for miles without realizing we've 
drove, we've driven like at all after a while. Yeah, we get like kind of a visual fatigue mm-hmm. where like after 10 or 20 minutes, we just stop looking for things as vigilantly because even if you're trying, our brains get bored at looking at the same stuff and our minds start to water. We don't look for things. We're not as vigilant as we were. Like I, especially, I guess it's especially true probably if you're like if you're driving or flying a helicopter mm-hmm. or even if you're walking in a straight line, there are no obstacles you have to deal with. And like search and rescue teams are, there are obstacles. So I have a feeling yeah. that they're a little bit more capable yeah, of staying. Of course, like, and these, he- these, early, these helicopters in the sixties were not easy to fly. Yeah. So they were like more concerned about like properly piloting this helicopter and they weren't able to look as intently as, you know, like a pigeon strapped to the bottom of a helicopter could. And like the train, the training pigeons in training, the pigeons managed to spot the orange spheres they were using as dummies in the sea 90% of the time on the first pass. As opposed to the human operators who were spotting them less than half the time. Seems about right. So they were about twice as good as we were. And they were actually kind of too good in some cases because they would get false positives where they'd see something bright and colorful like on the horizon and say, oh, it's orange. I'm hitting the button. And but still, it was like really good. They were working well in training and they finally got a chance for like a field test in Hawaii on a mission to look for some missing fishermen. But on the second day... The helicopter crashed and the crew was unable to get the pigeons who are like mounted underneath the helicopter out and they went down with the helicopter. And to be clear, these were the only pigeons they had trained like this. These they were didn't, the only pigeons they, they didn't trained. think maybe we should train a couple of groups of pigeons. I mean, this was like they were still testing it. It's like, we'll see if this works or not before okay. we invest too much time and effort into it. Seriously, though, they couldn't have been more than like two pigeons to fit in a cage like that. I think they had three. Yeah, it's like they couldn't have trained six. Yeah. So it would have taken like no more effort. Yeah. So that ended the program. <laughs> so that ended the program. But the Coast Guard pushed to continue the project, but it really just kind of ended after that. Uh, GPS, radar, and infrared equipment kind of replaced it so we didn't have to use pigeons. And they also got more reliable helicopters that were easier to fly, so it was easier to look for stuff. Uh, incidentally, they also tried to try they also tried to use hawks, owls, and dolphins for search and rescue in the same kind of way, but they were none of them were as successful as pigeons. I mean, dolphins are just gonna swim off. Yeah. Like, wh- why would you like? Why would you think the dolphins are gonna come back? They don't mm-hmm. have that same home, well, that same homing instinct, and they're like, "You guys had me trapped, fucking freedom." Yeah. Now, although I do wonder if there's like those stories of people like like there's that I don't know if it was a scuba diver or what, but there were a bunch of sharks showing up and a bunch of dolphins like went around him and like. The, sh- the sharks were like, what the actual fuck? And the sharks ended up leaving because all these dolphins were like circling the-, the surfer or whatever he was. I kind of wonder if those are maybe descendants of these dolphins. Because like if they were trained that well. I mean, there have been stories of like dolphins like rescuing like swimmers and sailors going back centuries. Yeah. And the, so it's I believe it they're also probably not the descendants of these dolphins they tried to train. But there are also ones of dolphins being like, I'm going to eat you now. Yeah. Uh, also stories about dolphins like dragging people under and drowning them. And also stories of dolphin human sexual relationships. Yeah. Um, Which not the dolphins choice. No. Okay, so you know, you know how I was talking about how we domesticated pigeons? Well, like dogs, we had some useful jobs for them. Like, you know, the messages and criticizing children's art, Braden. But also like dogs, we bet bred them for physical characteristics, kind of like how we got pugs. We did the same thing to pigeons. I spent some time last week after this episode showing Austin pug skulls. Oh my god. What did we do to these poor animals? We like oh They're my... like missing parts of their I skulls. I was like Pug skulls were disturbing. Because, like, we looked at pug skulls, uh, different bulldogs, like English bulldogs, French bulldogs, uh, Boston terriers, 
and then Persian cats. What have we done? Oh man! What hath God rot? 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 I ruined the joke. So yeah, so pigeons like vary as much as a Chihuahua does from a Newfoundland. Like, and we've again been doing this for forever. Pliny the Elder noted that pigeon fanciers in Rome were ruining the appearance of their houses with towering pigeon lofts on their roofs and just for their birds to sit up in there and be birds, and that people were spending ridiculous sums to buy pigeons. So are you saying that uh, Pliny the Elder probably would have been a bigger fan of Ernie over Bert? Probably. Because Bert, ha- Bert kept pigeons and Ernie didn't. I mean, Ernie seemed more studious. Well, and, Ernie, and Ernie's not... No, Bert was the studious one. Ernie oh. was the orange one. Oh, okay. Bert kept the pigeons. And Ernie did all his work from the bathtub. And didn't Pliny do a lot of his work from the bathtub? I think he did. Is Ernie based on Pliny the Elder? Oh, wow. Maybe. Yeah, they would spend 400 denarii on pigeons, which um, is either $800 or $40,000 in today money, depending on how you look at stuff. Either 800 or 40000 Yeah, it's um, $800 based on silver prices or um, $40,000 based on wages at the time, as compared to like modern people. So if I were to get 400 denarii and take it somewhere... Well, first of all, it's ancient Rome, so I don't know. I'd probably get closer to the 40, I would guess, because yeah. I'd have to auction it off. It's really hard to figure out how much money was worth going back this far. Or they'd be like, uh, yeah, just donate that to a museum, you asshole. Which, by the way, if you think the $40,000 is ridiculous, in 2020, a champion racing pigeon was sold for $1.9 million. That's more than, um, like, extra good lineage racehorses tend to go for. Yeah, because people love pigeons. Like, we love our cats. There are people that love their pigeons as much as we love our cats, or people love dogs, or horses, or any other animal that people keep. People... I would be more likely to spend $1.9 million to save the lives of one of our cats than to save my own life or Austin's, and I feel like he feels the same way. I mean, maybe. I'm yeah. not worth $1.9 million. You're worth so much more than $1.9 million. I'm worth more alive, or with more dead than alive based on my life insurance policy. Oh, yeah. So am I. I have life insurance taken out on you, too. Remember that, folks. If I disappear. Have you still that. not taken life insurance out on me? Because I keep telling you to. I have not. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there are about 700 different breeds of pigeons. They've got shows, competitions, races. There's conventions. There's museums. Austin, next time there's a pigeon show, we're going, right? Oh, absolutely. Because we've been to a cat show and that was trippy. Yeah, there's actually an American Pigeon Museum in Oklahoma. It's got uh, specimens, live birds, and exhibits. Where in Oklahoma? I think Tulsa. Oh, we, we can go there. Yeah. And... Hey, if my brother's listening to this right now... Yeah. And so... And because there are all these different breeds of pigeons that are out there that have escaped over time and bred with native rock doves, which you see around here, too. Yeah, they're rock doves. They're doves that wear eyeliner and yeah. play guitar. No, those are the glam rock doves. Oh. We, we have more of the soft rock dogs, doves. Like Penelope, who used to live on my windowsill. Yeah. Uh, that's why we see such a rot- wide variety of, like, color and shapes in the pigeons we see around the streets. Yeah, it is weird how many different shapes there are. Yeah. And, of course, like, and of course... Like all people who love their animals, sometimes uh, they take things too far. I don't want to know what they do with their pigeons. Like, no, no, don't worry. Um, They will, for example, uh, pigeon fanciers will shoot or poison birds of prey that could endanger their pigeons, even endangered species. Are they aware that their pigeons could also get hold of the poison? They're not worried about that. They're like putting it in meat that pigeons don't eat. Mm. But yeah, people will poison these birds of prey, like endangered species, and then brag about it on various social media groups that I've killed so many falcons. 
to prevent them from eating my pigeons. And if they're and do they have photographic evidence? Yeah, there have been arrests. Yeah, I was gonna say like I'm sure that ends real well if they've got photos to back it up. Yeah, it's like there is like all sorts of hobby drama about people killing endangered species to protect pigeons, and like for some weird reason the community's divided on it. Just keep your pigeon like it, it's it makes me so mad. Like we've we've got a neighborhood cat who we've got all these really dangerous animals, and not to mention people and vehicles around here. And I'm like, just keep your fucking cat inside. Well, I mean, pigeons, they need to fly free, man. Yeah, that's the excuse people use with their cat. They're just not happy inside. Maybe it's because they're not happy with you. And and then we're going to get angry tweets. Uh-huh. Then there's also the pigeon thefts. Now, there's like the conventional thefts where people will break in and steal birds. And there's been big thefts where like tens of thousands of dollars of rare pigeons have been stolen. Okay, here's the real question, though. Has anybody ever used pigeons to steal things? I'm getting to that. Like, the actual pigeons steal stuff for them. Oh, yeah. And there was even cases, like a case in 2019, where hundreds of birds were stolen. But that's the boring way. There is an exciting way to steal pigeons. And that is the ancient art of pigeon seduction. Now, I'm not talking about stealing other pigeons. I'm talking about stealing stuff. I have no idea if they've trained pigeons to steal stuff. It's like, you're in the middle of, like, robbing a place, and you bring your pigeons with you, and then, like, then like the, the, the police show up, and you're like, oh, shit, here, pigeon, take this. And it's like an African swallow, it picks it up like a coconut, and it flies back home. I don't know, but I think you just wrote a new comic book supervillain. The pigeons? Yeah, someone who just controls pigeons really well, and they steal stuff for them. Like, they go into a jewelry store and steal all the jewelry and fly away. But yeah, pigeon seduction. How did you, like... Distract me from the ancient art of pigeon seduction. Uh, by using a Monty Python reference and then also thinking, making you think about jewelry. No, because you see, there are special breeds of sexy pigeons that will go out there, they'll fly around, and then they'll lure pigeons of the opposite sex back to their nest. Because they'll be like, hey, they're good looking. I'm the pigeon for you. And they'll like shake their tail feathers at them. It's like Disney cartoon pigeons with the boobs and the eyelashes that don't make any sense. Yeah, they're like sexy Disney pigeons will fly out there, bat their eyelashes, and then pigeons will follow them back to their nest where you can steal them. You just like capture them. And they're like, after a few weeks, they're like, oh, this is home now. This is Mm -hmm. great. So yeah, pigeon pigeon seduction. Do pigeons mate for life? I don't think so. Maybe. I didn't read anything about that. Because like there really wouldn't be a reason for them to stay if they have a homing instinct unless they're trapped inside. Yeah. Now, in modern times, this is frowned upon because, you know, it's theft and it's kind of illegal. But there are still a bunch of Scottish pigeon thieves called do-men. That's me. Uh, By the way, uh, do is Scottish for pigeon and men is Scottish for men. There are also some women. And they will st- comp- They still compete to steal pigeons from each other. Because it's kind of a competition of like, oh, my pigeon thief is better than your pigeon thief because they encounter each other and I got your pigeon. What happens when you've got two... Like, Is it nothing but sexy pigeons they have doing this? Because that'd be perfect. Oh yeah, it's just nothing but sexy pigeons. They are... There's a bunch of Scotsmen I'm competing... I'm sorry, does this... Okay, this sounds like the most Scottish thing to ever Scottish... It's like a bunch of Scots competing to have the sexiest pigeon. Now it's like, and I'm saying that as somebody who has a family crest from Scotland, this sounds like the most Scottish thing to ever Scottish. But, you know, luckily this hobby is not as violent as it used to be because there used to be like, again, murders over pigeon theft. But now it's just the disputes are mostly friendly. Mostly. They're still Scottish, so they get drunk and fight each other, I'm assuming. I mean, it's not a party until you do that. Yeah. And anyway, here's one last little fact. 
that I couldn't really fit in, but I just needed to share it. Pigeons produce milk. That's really gross. Uh, it's called crop milk because it's secreted in a lining of a, their crop, which is a digestive organ in their throat, and they regurgitate it into fledglings' mouths. It's gross. It's real gross. All of them actually, it makes a lot of sense, too. It's like, yeah. wh- why don't other birds do that? Because the stuff Some that bir- you eat... Like- other birds do. Like, uh, if you remember the documentary March of the Penguins, Penguins? Never saw it. You never saw March of the Penguins? Nope. You have no soul. But yeah, never other birds do Never saw March of the Penguins or Happy Feet. Yeah, they all produce a nutrient-rich white fluid that they regurgitate into the mouths of their young. It's real gross. Like, I know all of them pretty much do that. Like, it's just weird to me that they don't all produce milk. Yeah. Pigeons produce milk. It's super gross, and I just had to fit that in. Um, well, I've got a pigeon story. You've got a pigeon story? Yeah. Uh, other than the two times I've been pooped on by them, because it's happened twice. But this one time, I lived in Boston, and this goes back to how smart pigeons are. I was crossing the street at a crosswalk because I'm a responsible human being. And there were cars coming, and so I'm standing there, and I'm waiting, and I look down, and there's a pigeon standing next to me. And the pigeon looks at me, and I look at the pigeon, and I'm like, sup, pigeon? It's like, sup, human? And the pigeon and I are both looking both ways. The pigeon is literally turning its head and looking for vehicles at like as I am doing so. And then when the it, the traffic light clears, the pigeon starts walking as I as do I. And the pigeon keeps pace with me. I think in part because, you know, I have a better view for cars than it does probably, and in part because if I get hit, it's less likely to get hit. People are more likely to stop for me than for the pigeon. <laughs> So, yeah, pigeons know how to look both ways before they cross the street. And if you think about it, though, how often have you seen pigeons that have been hit by cars? Very rarely. Yeah. It's like you see everything else, like fucking hawks and shit get hit by cars. Yeah. Ooh. I don't think I've ever seen a pigeon that's been hit by a car, at least not like after until after being killed by something else. All right. So, yeah, that was pigeons. I think they're neat. I'm not going to start collecting them. That seems like way too much work. Uh, are they good at like clearing out backyard stuff and no. like, cleaning houses? Not at all. Then no, we don't need a pigeon. Yeah. We need goats. Yes. If anybody would like to let us borrow some goats to like eat our yard. You would be the greatest of all time if you'd let us have some goats. So are you ready for questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Will the fact that Pliny the Elder didn't really like pigeons be on the test? No, because we can't say anything bad about Pliny. Will the fact that pigeon fanciers are as hardcore as the most hardcore dog people be on the test? No, because we can't talk about dog people that way. Yeah. Will the ancient art of sexy pigeon seduction be on the test? No, because we can't think of sex in school. It's not allowed. And will pigeon milk be on the test? Yes. Yeah. So that was that was pigeons. All right. Well, we, like by pure coincidence, ended up with a themed episode this week because I'm going to be talking about a descendant of one of the chickens from 6,000 years after pigeons. So when I was in high school, I was on the forensics team. It was the best time of my entire life. And I mostly did the acting, uh, the acting events, but my teacher liked us to be well-rounded, so I ended up having to do informative because I didn't want to do the, like, debate stuff and persuasive speeches. I didn't want to do that stuff, so I did informative. But I really wanted to stick with the acting parts, so I decided to just pick a mo- the most ridiculous topic I could think of, which ended up being the one of the three most successful pieces that I did in high school for <laughs> forensics, which is my informative speech. The other two were... Uh, duet acting events this is i think wait didn't you meet me during one of your duet acting events yes that is actually how i met austin was a he came to a performance of one of my duet acting events and this is still better than meeting me i didn't win any awards for meeting you i am the award for meeting me i didn't win any awards for meeting you oh okay (laughs) 
<laughs> now, I ended up going to state with Mike because I'm talking about Mike the Headless Chicken today. Mike the Headless Chicken, the legend of the West. Because their old website, which they've since updated, which is actually a huge bummer. This was like a, you know, Alta Vista kind of site back when I first did this this uh, in high school. It automatically start playing a song that went, Mike the Headless Chicken, the, the legend of the West. No farmer's axe could stop the heart beaten in his breast. <laughs> and I really miss the song. When you go to the website today, there is no song. You can't find it. It was very sad. Anyway, I am going to attempt to do this. Oh, I was known as the Mike the Headless Chicken Girl, by the way, like throughout the state. When I would go to competitions, they'd be like, oh, shit, you're the Mike the Headless Chicken Girl. I'm like, God damn it. That is, I always wanted a nickname, but this is not the one I wanted. No one ever gets the nickname they want. No. I mean, you had an okay one growing up. Aw, stink. AJ. Oh, yeah. I never got a nickname at all. Well, people call me Maddie, which is not my actual name. Um, And then I got called Sardine, which worked. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, Mike the Headless Chicken. I wish I still had my speech, but I don't. So I'm, this is all new research, which is probably for the best because more information has come out about this chicken that's been dead for decades. I'm going to try to do this like a regular biography like I've done of the likes of, you know, Walter Mondale, because we're putting him up with, with the greats. Woo. Mike was born on a farm in 19, uh, April 1945 in Fruta, Colorado. Not much is known about his parents other than the fact that they were Wyandotte chickens. If you are picturing a chicken, it is probably a Wyandotte chicken. Unless you're picturing a silky chicken, which is just a weird way for your brain to go. Also, yes, they are edible. No... I would not eat a silky chicken because they're really scary. The skin is black and the fat is yellow, and I just don't think I could handle the combination. On September 10th, though, of the very year he was born, at the age of five and a half months, the unthinkable happened. Mike was just hanging out in the chicken yard doing the things that five-month-old roosters do when this dude named Lloyd Olson came upon him. At the behest of his wife and mother-in-law, Lloyd brought down an axe and severed Mike's head from his body. Now that said, the mother-in-law part might just be kind of a fictionalized version of what actually happened because, you know, it's like very, ha ha, you always had to please the mother-in-law, especially because she apparently really liked chicken necks, which comes into play later. The Olsen's great-grandson, Troy Waters, said, no, they tended to kill about 50 chickens a day because that was the kind of farm they were. So Mike was just one of the 50 chickens they killed that day. Or so they thought. Mike didn't have time for being dead. He was a very busy rooster with a lot of rooster shit to do. So as you probably know, when you remove the head from a chicken... The chicken will run around and flap its wings for a few seconds afterwards. I think I read it usually lasts no more than a minute, usually less. Austin, you've done it. Like, yeah. It's not a long time. It's, it's a horrifying time. Yeah, it's less than a minute most of the time. And you, the longer it is, the worse I would feel. Um, and this is like all animals. Almost every time an animal or human is killed, there will be movement after death. So, like, if you ever have to put an animal to sleep, they'll usually take them away from you pretty quickly, or they'll, like, try to get you to, you know, let them take care. Let me get a nice box, whatever the case might be, because it's going to start to move. It does not mean it is alive. It means that there are electrical signals going to its body, trying to figure out what's going on. It's the same thing with humans. If you are with somebody who dies, within a few minutes, they're probably going to start to move again. I mean, hopefully you are still monitoring to make sure they are actually dead. Austin has explicit instructions to make sure I'm actually dead before he lets them take me anywhere. Yep. 
but its electrical impulse is going through their bodies. But Mike just kept running. And there's a couple of different versions, but either way, like Mike disappeared for a little bit. And they're like, okay, he probably like went off somewhere to die. They found him though. And he was still walking around. And not only was he walking around, he was walking around like nothing was wrong. This is not electrical signals. This was not flapping wings and running. This was, I'm going to go perch here for a minute. I'm going to attempt to eat the seeds that are on the ground. I am going to like try to preen my feathers. And they're like, what the actual fuck zombie chicken? So since they didn't know what to do, they brought Mike into their po- their screened in porch for the night. They're like, okay, put him in a box. He'll probably be dead by morning. But if he's not, we'll figure out what to do. Well, they get him and they find him with his quote unquote head tucked under his wing because he went to sleep for the night. And they open the box and they kind of poke him and he's like, what? What's going on? Where the fuck am I? I can't see anything. But he went back to like living his normal chicken life. Um, now, as a side note, just because ultimately I can't really say that we should absolutely learn about Mike himself in school or even necessarily about the electrical impulses that come through your bodies after death. I do think we should kind of learn about um, how the human brain works a little bit more than we do because we like learn about like, oh, it's got hemispheres and blah, 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 blah. But we don't really learn how it communicates with anything other than you have nerves. There's a lot of debate over how long a human head can remain conscious after being removed from the body. Now, your body obviously cannot be remo- remain conscious after being removed from the head. Your body never was conscious to begin with, which we'll get into why Mike's body seems to be conscious in a moment. So as I mentioned, human bodies don't immediately stop moving, but the bodies are dead. But then uh, and the exception is internal decapitation, because internal decapitation is when your head is severed from your spinal cord, but still attached to your body because your neck itself was not decapitated. Usually people still die in this case, but not always. If they are very careful, they can reattach that part of your spine so that your head is now reattached to your body. And you I mean, you have li- varying amounts of control over your body after that. It depends on, you know, the severity of your internal decapitation and what your brain decides to do afterwards. But yeah, you can survive being internally decapitated, but not externally. The question is, for how long? Can you not, how, for how long are you still alive after you're decapitated? So people are usually, you know, scientists have told us for decades, oh, you're immediately dead. There's, there is no consciousness. You're dead. I think that's mostly to make us feel better because they always, you know, at the end of it would pick up people by the hair and be like, look at the criminal's head. And it would blink and shit like that. And they're like, there's, there's the electrical impulses. It's fine. It's fine. No, it's just, it's just the electrical impulses. There's even a story, I believe it was Marie Antoinette, where they slapped her across the face and she looked pissed off afterwards. But they're like, oh, no, those are just legends. And None of this actually happened. There's also a story where a criminal agreed with a friend of his, like a scientist, I think it was a scientist friend too, who was like, okay, stand in this part of the crowd when they lift my head up. If I am still conscious, I will blink this number of times. And the doctor insisted that it happened. Again, though, we can't prove any of this. We can't really go around cutting off people's heads to prove how conscious they are and for how long afterwards. That would be an unethical scientific experiment. But how would it be as a reality show? Also, a real bad reality show. Because I mean, how would you win? They've done it on The Simpsons for how long now? Yeah. But we can't do it on humans. We can do it on mice and other mammals. So... They did this with a bunch of mice and a bunch of a bunch of Dutch scientists decapitated mice and they had little like electrodes attached to their brain. They lived for four. They were conscious for four seconds after being decapitated. Ah. Now think about all the things you can process in four seconds. Four seconds is a very long 
time. That is more than enough time to process that you have been decapitated if you are capable of processing that. So if you are lift, if your head is lifted and you look at your body, you have enough time to process, oh shit, that's my body. If you're able to recognize, to recognize your own body when you're decapitated, because like people who like, are cut in half will like try to pull their legs towards them because they aren't capable of recognizing that they are separated from their bodies. It's a whole... Austin's looking at me like, how do you know these things? Oh, I know exactly how you know these things. I'm just, the glee in your face as you're talking about this is what the look is for. The human brain is so cool. And then they have repeated this experiment with other animals. Uh, This particular paper I read didn't get too far into it. But let's just say four seconds is more of a minimum. They did not talk about the other animals with which they did this. But I'm guessing there's a good chance that the more advanced the animal is, the longer it takes. And probably also the larger the animal is. Because, you know, there's more blood happening up there and stuff like that. And it also kind of would depend on exactly where you cut their neck off. Um, Because if you didn't cut anything major in their neck, so they're not bleeding that much. Like, you know, a whole thing. So that's just my side note that I thought was interesting, but I couldn't do a whole episode on how long people stay alive after being decapitated. I just really needed to make sure you guys knew that, yeah, chances are after someone is decapitated, they're still conscious long enough to be aware that they were decapitated. Assuming they knew they were about to be decapitated. If they did not know they were about to be decapitated, they are, they are awake long enough to be aware that something weird is going on. Mike, though, is tougher than people and mice, so he survived all of this. He is he has no head, and he is walking around acting completely normally. His balance isn't even thrown off. He is able to perch like other chickens are. The great-grandson says the couple didn't really know what to do about this. Um, so depending on which version you like better, the one that they tell on the Mike the Headless Chicken website is that, you know, they waited about a week and Mike was just doing his thing and presumably punishing Lloyd for some kind of previous crime he had committed because now there's a fucking zombie chicken. They took him to Salt Lake City to be analyzed at a university. There's another version where he took him later, which I'll get into in a minute. But in either case, they determined that Mike had been decapitated too high up and they had left on what we would then have called the brainstem. Now what we would just call the majority of the brain and one ear. They basically cut off his face and not his head. Ah. It's like a really horrifying twist on a John Travolta and Nicolas Cage movie. Imagine Nicolas Cage, but instead of John Travolta's face, he gets a chicken face. I'd watch that movie. I'd absolutely watch that movie. They are making a face-off, too. Maybe that's the plot. They keep saying that they're making it, and it keeps not happening, and they keep changing what's going to happen in it. It's not fair. Just, we need this movie. We just need to make this movie happen. Please. So they basically had cut off his face, and he did actually keep the head. He kept it preserved in a jar, so you could eat uh, you could still see it. And if you look at it, there are pictures online. They're actually not that disturbing. It could be because they're in black and white and he's all cleaned up when this happens. Way less disturbing than when you look at pictures of chicken brain or silky chicken dead bodies. Ugh. Do not recommend those things. But they'd also, and he'd also mi- missed any major, major arteries in his throat. So he didn't bleed to death. And which comes back to the mother-in-law like to eat chicken next. So he cut it up nice and high. But like I said, his... Great grandson said, no, that's not what happened. He was a chicken farmer. Like, he wouldn't have made, like, this was an accident. Yeah. So, since Mike was clearly not going down without a fight, Lloyd was like, all right, um, it would be inhumane to just let him die, I guess. Because he's going around, he's trying to eat, so he's clearly hungry. And he's trying to crow, which is like, I'd imagine this really horrifying sound, but it's like a gurgle scratch noise. Oh. 
Um, kind of not unlike Jennifer and Jennifer's body. <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking about. I know the scene you're talking that's what about. I'm, that's what I'm imagining in my head when he's like trying to crow. And also, like, dude, he is still trying to crow, so you can get up in the morning. So he gets a, a pair of eyedroppers. One eyedropper has a mixture of food in it, um, like crushed up worms or crushed up grain. There's some milk in it, probably from a pigeon, so that he can feed him and get some water into him. The other one is empty, and it's to suction things out. Because oh, the esophagus is still in, in place. The trachea is still in place. Sometimes, you know, he gets clogged, whether or not it's just because he's been eating or because he's, you know, running around. So they have to unclog him with the empty eyedropper. And you always have to have these two eyedroppers to keep Mike alive. And not only did they keep Mike alive, Mike was fucking thriving. Like, he went from being something like two and a half pounds to eight pounds. Damn. Being fed via an eyedropper by Lloyd and his wife, Clara, I think. I haven't mentioned it yet, and it's not on the page I'm on. So now this part isn't mentioned in very many sources, and certainly not on the Mike the Headless Chicken website, because guys, please go to the website. Um, but Troy Waters said that the celebrity life that Mike ultimately came to live, I mean, it's been, what was it, 1945? It's been 70 years-ish? Yeah. Um, he's clearly still talked about today, so he became a celebrity. But it didn't start off so glamorously. It started off with Lloyd going into town to sell his actually dead chickens and going people, you know, I got a live headless chicken. And they're like, no, you don't, Lloyd, you asshole. And he was like, I bet you a six pack that I have a live headless chicken. And they were like, okay. And then he'd get Mike out. They'd be like, oh shit. So he got paid in beer for showing off Mike. Well, this eventually got to the local news, which then eventually got to a sideshow, freak show, Wait. whatever, perform uh, agent. Is this how we get Mike's hard lemonade? From him getting beer from this chicken? You're making it sound like the beer came out of the chicken. I realized that after I said it. <laughs> okay, just because you can get milk out of a pigeon doesn't mean you can get lemonade out of a chicken. Well, obviously, no, you get hard lemonade. Do you have an idea how many people I know like who didn't know that hard lemonade was alcoholic and thought it was just lemonade and were like drinking it, either as children or while driving or whatever? No. Yeah, it's not labeled well. It's really not. I mean, it might be better now, but I haven't had it in a long time. But it really just, it looks, your brain, when you think, if you didn't grow up with hard drinks or if you are a young person, you don't necessarily think of hard meaning alcoholic. You just think lemonade and hard might just mean like extra flavorful. And it is really flavorful. It's like, oh, hard. Is this like extreme? Exactly. Yeah. So this sideshow reporter uh, promoter shows up from Salt Lake City, which is the other side of the. He waited a week to take the chicken to the doctor. He waited until the promoter showed up to take the chicken to the doctor. Uh, so either it happened before or happened now, but this is what they basically found out that Mike had been cut off in the wrong place. And there is some evidence that they tried to recreate this at the university. It did not work. Nobody has ever been able to recreate what happened to Mike. And it has been, like I said, 70 plus years. And that's when Mike started going on the sideshow circuit. P.T. Barnum style freak show shit. But you know what? He was making that money. He was making that money. It cost 25 cents to see Mike, which is only $3.74 in modern money. However, his owner showed him so much that he made $4,500 per week or $52,000 per week today. What? 
Mike was insured at $10,000 because some insurance company thought it was a good idea to insure him because that'd be an insurance policy like, and you know, in the event of injury or death. Well, I mean, he's already headless. It's coming, right? He's, his head's already gone. How much worse is it going to get? And chickens, I mean, chickens actually live longer than you'd think, but they aren't going to live forever. It's not like they're on fame, except for Mike. Because in his own way, Mike has lived forever. But I doubt he learned how to fly. I mean, chickens can kind of fly. It's more of like a frantic flop. Oh, I've seen chickens fly, but I kind of doubt he really learned how because he couldn't see other chickens doing it. Yeah. And so that insurance policy would be nearly $150,000 for uh, today. He was featured in Time Magazine, Life Magazine, and of course won a Guinness World Record title. Now for 18 months, Lloyd, Clara, and Mike traveled, only stopping when it was time to collect the harvest at home because they are still farmers. That is still their primary job, despite making $52,000 a week showing off their chicken. But there is a dark side to fame, especially when your fame comes from something totally out of your control, where somebody else is entirely responsible for your existence, including your health choices. Hashtag free Britney. Oh my God, this is exactly the same. I mean, well, think about it though. It kind of is. Yeah. They, like, they, in this case, they removed this chicken's head. They were like feeding it whatever they wanted to feed it. They were deciding whether or not they could save it every time by pulling stuff out. With Brittany, they were like giving her drugs to fuck with her head and make her more malleable. They were putting her on show and taking her to Vegas like a fucking sideshow. Yeah. They're deciding what, like, I mean, obviously, this is all coming from Brittany, but even if a quarter of what she says is true, it's not okay. Now, granted, but in this case, I mean, Mike's a chicken, and it was either this or death. So Brittany has, you know, what she's having or life. Let's go with life for Brittany. Yeah. Hashtag free Brittany. Free Brittany. Also, Austin was joking because I made some comment. I'm like, guess what I'm working in here? And he's like, Brittany Spears. I'm like, no, I'm not going to work Brittany Spears into this. And then it just came in naturally. So after a long day on the road, like I said, dark side to fame. Mike and the Olsons had stopped to rest at a hotel in Phoenix in March of 1947. There, Mike began to choke, as he often did. And Lloyd realized he had left both the feeding and the clearing out eyedroppers at the performance space, potentially as much as the day before. Oh. Meaning Mike had also not eaten in 24 hours. Mike died in that hotel room. Oh. However, according to Waters, Lloyd, for years, pretended Mike was still alive. He said that he had sold him to another sideshow worker. He wanted to go back and work on his farm, so he had sold him. It's fine. Mike's alive. Don't worry. And I'm sure there must have been some other sideshow people out there who had a fake version of Mike that was, like, just stuffed and maybe, like, they had it on strings or some shit. But he, for years and years and years, kept up this lie to the point where it was, like, not long before Lloyd himself died of old age that he finally told people that this wasn't true, that Mike died in this hotel room in March of 1947. Uh, he also never told anybody what he did to Mike's body. But his great-grandson thinks he probably just threw it out in the desert and let the coyotes have it. Which is sad in the sense that Mike had done so much for him. But at the same time, coyotes need to eat. Yeah. And Austin knows that my dream is for my body to be thrown into the ocean and be eaten by sharks. So I can't judge on that one. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we, like... We can at Bernie's you onto a cruise ship and just throw you over Everything the is legal on a cruise ship. Everything is legal on a cruise ship. Um, and then his great-grandson also believes that for years his grandpa tried to recreate Mike himself, and it did not work. He, ki he killed a lot of chickens, which is fine because that was his job. Like, he would just, you know, go sell the bodies after that. But he believes that he tried to, like, cut them at the right spot and just never happened again. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, 
the stories that his brainstem was left on, it was our brains, it was brainstem as we understood it at the time. Now, with human brains, human brains are big and they're in top of our heads. Um, and the parts that do like the actual like thinking thinking are the parts that are in the front and on the top. And then you've got the part towards the back that's our brainstem. So when we're thinking about chickens, we're like, oh yeah, this is a brainstem. Well, most of a chicken's brain is in the back of its head. So if he cuts off the face, he's actually missing most of the brain, if not all of it. So it was 80% of his total brain that was left, which also becomes, brings up the question of at what point is can you just unplug the machines with somebody? Because your brainstem controls your motors, like your um your your breathing, your your autonomous like, functions, the things that you do without thinking. You are considered brain dead when your brainstem stops functioning. So what if the rest of your brain is cut off, but your brainstem is still able to function? Ooh, I don't know. So our doctor listeners, because I know that we are we you know, that we are very famous in the medical community. Well, we were until I fucked up the pigeon stuff and made them all, all mad because all doctors love pigeons. Like at what point, how much of your brain has to be, because people can also live with their brain, with their lobes severed. They can live missing large chunks of their brains after having them removed or even being born that way. And they can even thrive in these ways. You can't thrive with only your brainstem. But at what point can you just be allowed to die? How much brainstem, how much brainstem has to be there? How much brain has to be there? Anyway, today Mike's memory remains honored every year in Fruta, Colorado. This year, on August 27th and 28th, there is a Mike the Headless Chicken Festival. It is not that far from us in terms of how far I'm willing to drive. We should do this. The only problem is you have to drive through mountains to get to Fruta. So you're I will do this. You're doing that part. Absolutely. I will take some Xanax and go to sleep because I'm yep. afraid of mountains. Well, driving. I'm not afraid of mountains. Mountains are not coming to get me. I'm afraid of driving through mountains. I mean, volcanoes are. Volcanoes are not like getting up and walking towards me. That's true. They're just exploding at you. And you usually have warning. Not always. Yeah. No, I have one last, though, very important thing to mention about Mike and why he deserves to be honored as he is. Mike died in a hotel in Phoenix at the age of about two years. I went to several different chicken websites to figure out how many years that would be in human years. It varied a little by sight, but at least one mentioned this. Two years in chicken years is 27 in human years, (gasps) making Mike a member of the 27 Club, which includes the likes of Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. Wow. Mike the Headless Chicken, the legend of the West, member of the 27 Club, hero to us all. The end. That was wonderful. I see why you won so many things and got your nickname from this. Uh, My speech in high school was a lot more, like, I didn't go off about the different parts of your brain and stuff because I had seven minutes, but, (laughs) and it was a lot more like fast paced and comedic, 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 comedic. But I just think it's so fascinating because this teaches you so much about the brain if you let it. And also, there is now a festival we need to go to in August. We don't have any plans for August. We don't have plans till October. Well, no, we got plans in September, but nothing planned in August. We should do this. We should go to the Michael Hellas Chicken Festival. I feel like I'm fulfilling my destiny if I do this. But I feel like you'll have a story like, hey, I did a thing about Mike the Headless Chicken in high school and I won some awards for it. You'd be famous. Yeah, I'd be. You, you could claim to be the guest, the, the celebrity guest. And I'm over the age of 27, so I'm safe. Yeah. Uh, did you ask me? A, you did ask me no questions. OK, well, are you ready for your questions? I was born ready. Just like I was born to go to the Mike the Headless Chicken Festival. Yes. All right. So will this be on the test? Chicken brains are mostly in the backs of their heads, not the top. Yeah, that'll be on the test. Mammals have shown sign of conscious brain activity for four or more seconds after decapitation. I want to say no, but I really want that fact to be taught to kindergartners just to see the looks on their faces. 
I really want that fact to be taught the moment we learn about like the you know the guillotine and shit because like oh no it was so humane it was so no no it actually compared to a lot of things that we did to people was not the mo- least it was, humane I would it was probably better than like it's probably relatively hanging. painless yeah compared to other stuff we did because you do cut off a lot of your nerves real quickly and you know hanging doesn't immediately break your neck in most cases like you just stretch yeah yeah it's not a good way to go. No. Um, and then gas chambers. Ooh. Um, chickens run around after death because of electrical signals sent to their body. And this happens to pretty much every animal in some fashion. Yeah, they'll be on the test. Mike lived for 18 months after his supposed death and only died because the things he needed to live were forgotten at a fucking sideshow. They'll mention he lived for 18 months, but they're not going to mention the oops, we forgot your vital equipment. I will say they do have that on the Mike Nedless Chicken website. Oh, and he, uh, Lloyd went back to just being a farmer for the rest of his life after that. He was not exorbitantly wealthy or anything. He, like, they always talked about how, you know, he's the rich chicken guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, sure. He's like, I liked keeping up the idea that I was the rich chicken guy because it got me a lot of free beer. <laughs> but no, he just lived a normal farmer life for the rest of it. And then after his death for years, Mike's former owners pretended he was still alive. Yeah, that'll be on the test. All right. Got to keep that chicken alive. And he is still alive in our hearts and in the soul of Fruit of Colorado at their yearly festival. I'm never eating chicken again. I always think of Mike. So we've got to change our meal plan for this week. Is Absolutely, what you're saying. yes. And you're not going to eat any more of the pizza we have downstairs. Okay, I've changed my mind. I'm back to eating chicken. <laughs> All right. R.I.P. Mike. So today you've learned about pigeons. You've learned about Mike Douglas Chicken. You've learned about the amount of time you might stay alive after being decapitated. You've also learned a little about internal decapitation, which I would love to talk about in detail sometimes. Austin has gotten to hear about so many like horrific medical things because you know how we all have those like rabbit holes we go down in the internet in the middle of the night. These are mine. Internal decapitation, um, cyclops babies, things like that. See, mine's just like weird stuff from memes. <laughs> Austin likes to watch TikTok to go to sleep. I like to find out like, can you live when you're a cyclops baby? The answer is no. There was one and he like Odysseus killed him. So thanks, Odysseus. Now, wasn't Cyclops his name? I don't remember. Like, Cyclops was his... Because, like, Pegasus was the name of the of that specific horse. That's not the name of the breed. I, feel, I like, Wasn't Cyclops... Because there were several of them, but he only talked to one, I think, didn't he? And called it Cyclops? I know. He had a name. He had an actual name. I just don't remember what it was. Oh, you're right. You're right. I have not read... It was like Mergrumber. <laughs> not to be con- confused with Grendel. No. We, it goes back to, why did they choose the books we read in high school? How did I this happen? I really don't know. And I'm talking about this as a former English teacher. I fought so hard against some of the books I had to teach these kids because I was like, these are not of value. Ethan Frome is the most worthless book I've ever read. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Uh, Walden. Ugh, Walden. Uh, Austin and I disagree on a lot of these. Like, I love... Okay, separate piece. Did not Terrible. like it. Awful. Uh, someone, spoiler alert for separate piece, someone wrote Finny dies in Sharpie across the first page I had of my the copy. only copy in my entire class where that was not written. I had the only copy. The book sucks. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. But like Austin and I disagree on Grapes of Wrath. I hated it. Grapes of Wrath is good. Hated it. Um, The Giver. Hated it. Love it. Yeah. Although it's funny. I read it like the year after it came out. So they weren't quite sure what age group it was appropriate for. Uh, the Giver is now a middle school book, with good reason. I think Austin will agree that that is a middle school book. Yeah. Fourth grade, where they were talking about him getting morning wood and shit like that. <laughs> fourth, graders, fourth graders should know what morning wood is because they're starting to get it. Um, oh, no, they've had it for a while. And also things like masturbation. I know that boys do that from like a young age. Like, oh, this feels good. I'm going to 
at it. Yeah. But like full blown masturbation doesn't really happen until puberty. But puberty is going earlier and earlier with boys starting fourth to fifth grade, usually girls starting as young as second grade. I can get into the reason before that behind that, but I won't because there actually are reasons that puberty is getting younger, um, which is funny, too, though, because the youngest girl to ever give birth was five and uh-huh. was well before any of these hormones existed that we are consuming in different ways. I'll talk about her sometime. That's fascinating. Oh, the fireworks are starting, so we should wrap up. Where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at On The Test Pod, on Instagram at On The Test Pod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash On The Test Pod. And on the testpod.com. The best way to reach out to us is via Twitter or by sending us a messenger pigeon because that would just be really cool. Or if you can figure out how they did it for men in tights, a messenger fox would also be accepted. Yeah. Really just we we're animal people. Send us any animal with a message, really. Yeah, um, really, yeah. Any any animal I'm trying to think if there's any animal because I'm sure I'm I'm going to die petting something I shouldn't be petting. Oh my god, she'll cuddle the messenger porcupine and it'll just be bad. I'm smart enough to not touch a porcupine, although I feel kind of bad for them because what if they really do just want to hug? I once saw a porcupine and a monkey get in a fight. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> I I feel like you need to elaborate on this. I was at the zoo. Oh, there's the fireworks. Um, I was at the zoo and this <laughs> this porcupine was trying to get it on with another porcupine, right? And this monkey comes over and starts, like, messing with them. Like, it it was like a bro situation. Kind of like, he forgot to put the sock on the door, so I know he's having sex in our dorm room, but I'm going to come in anyway. And then just, like, start, like, messing with them while he's trying to get it on with this female porcupine. So that's what happened. And the female was like, God damn it. And the male was like, God damn it. So he starts chasing the monkey. And the monkey keeps, like, stopping and taunting this porcupine, like, ha ha, I cock-blocked you. And so, like, the porcupine gets the monkey, and he does not actually quill him. Um, I guess they have control over that, which I didn't realize they had control over it. So he got him with the quills, but he did not quill him. And the monkey, it looks at his hand, and then he looks at the porcupine, and he shows his hand to the porcupine, like, bro, because he's bleeding. Not badly, or I would have gotten a zookeeper. (laughs) And he looks at his hand, he kind of licks his hand, looks at it again, and he shows the porcupine, bro, look what you fucking did! This was the best day of my life! Again, again, we're married. We had a wedding, and this is better? I one time had a student uh, try to put jelly beans in my coffee, and I was like, hey, don't do that. That's my coffee. That's the most important thing in my life. And another student looks at me and she goes, don't you have a fiance? And I looked her dead in the eye and said, he knows where he stands. And I, it's true. I'm like, I think I'm above Chipotle burritos now. You are above Chipotle burritos. You are still yeah. below coffee, cats, and watching a porcupine and a monkey get into a bro fight. Yeah. I, you know what? I'll accept that. You are, I believe, above what I saw an otter doing it to itself at a different animal location. Oh, my. It's the kind of stuff that we shouldn't have been learning about in fourth grade, but <laughs> this otter was teaching some kids about it at the moment. <laughs> For 20 minutes straight until I left. Damn. Like, I don't think the two things were connected. I just left and it was still going at it when I left. I was about to say... I was hoping it... Oh, God. No, the way animals react to me, though, 
Remember that time they had me leave because of the snake that was going to kill me? Yeah. Or that turtle that was your best friend. That no, The turtle was trying to escape. I don't know if it liked me or if it wanted to eat me. This is one of those giant snapping turtles, guys. And it kept trying to escape from its tank and, like, come after me. And this was in a reptile place. And then there was a anaconda. It was some kind of snake that you don't see other places. Yeah. And the snake kept acting, like, really weird. Like, it was going to attack something. And the keepers are starting to look like they're in a fucking panic. Because they have the rabbit. They're ready to feed it. They look around trying to figure out what, and it looks, they look at me and they go, you need to go. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, it's trying to come after you. You need to go. <laughs> they're like, they're like, stairs over there, go upstairs, you can watch from up there. And they fed it completely safely after that. It chilled out. It, it, but this fucking thing wanted to eat me. This turtle wanted to come after me. This otter started playing with itself after I showed up. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I also have Disney princessed it and had cats follow me into my home before. So. Wow. Well, I guess, really, on that note... <laughs> on that note, hopefully this episode recorded, Class, Class Dismissed. dismissed. Um, 